Book Four, Chapter Six of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth, by Fanny Burney. Book Four, Chapter Six, Strictures on Beauty. To lengthen the airing, Mr. Tyrold ordered the carriage by a new road, and to induce Eugenia to break yet another spell in walking as well as riding, he proposed their alighting, when they came to a lane, and leaving the coach in waiting while they took a short stroll. He walked between his daughters a considerable way, passing wherever it was possible close to cottages, laborers, and children. Eugenia submitted with a sigh, but held down her head, affrighted at every fresh object they encountered till, upon approaching a small miserable hut, at the door of which several children were playing, an unlucky boy called out, "'Oh, come, come, look! Here's the little humpbacked gentlewoman!' She then, clinging to her father, could not stir another step, and cast upon him a look of appeal and reproach that almost overset him. But after speaking to her some words of kindness, he urged her to go on and alone, saying, Throw only a shilling to the senseless little crew, and let Camilla follow and give nothing, and see which one will become the most popular. They both obeyed, Eugenia fearfully and with quickness, casting amongst them some silver, and Camilla quietly walking on. Oh, I have got a sixpence, cried one, and I have got a shilling, said another, while the mother of the little tribe came from her wash-tub and called out, God bless your ladyship! and the father quitted a little garden at the side of his cottage to bow down to the ground and cry, Heaven reward you, good madam. You'll have a blessing go with you. Go where you will. The children, then dancing up to Camilla, begged her charity, but when seconding the palpable intention of her father, she said she had nothing for them. They looked highly dissatisfied, while they redoubled their blessings to Eugenia. See, my child, said Mr. Tyrold, now joining them, how cheaply preference, and even flattery, may be purchased. Ah, sir, she answered, recovered from her terror, yet deep in reflection, this is only by bribery, and gross bribery, too. And what pleasure or what confidence can accrue from preference so earned? The means, my dear Eugenia, are not beneath the objects. If it is only from those who unite native hardness with uncultured minds and manners, that civility is to be obtained by such assorted materials, remember also it is from such only it can ever fail you. In the lowest life, equally with the highest, wherever nature has been kind, sympathy springs spontaneously for whatever is unfortunate, and respect whatever seems innocent. Steel yourself, then, firmly to withstand attacks from the cruel and unfeeling, and rest perfectly secure you will have none other to apprehend. The clear and excellent capacity of Eugenia comprehended in this lesson and its illustration all the satisfaction Mr. Tyrold hoped to impart, and she was ruminating upon it with abated despondence when, as they came to a small house surrounded with a high wall, Mr. Tyrold, looking through an iron gate at a female figure who stood at one of the windows, exclaimed, What a beautiful creature! I have rarely, I think, seen a more perfect face. Eugenia felt so much hurt by this untimely sight that after a single glance which confirmed the truth of what he said, she bent her eyes another way. 
while Camilla herself was astonished that her kind father should call their attention to beauty at so sore and critical a juncture. "'The examination of a fine picture,' said he, fixing his eyes upon the window and standing still at the iron gate, "'is a constant as well as exquisite pleasure, for we look at it with an internal security that such as it appears to us to-day, it will appear again to-morrow, and to-morrow, and to-morrow.' But in the pleasure given by the examination of a fine face, there is always, to a contemplative mind, some little mixture of pain, an idea of its fragility steals upon our admiration, and blends with it something like solicitude, the consciousness how short a time we can view it perfect, how quickly its brilliancy of bloom will be blown, and how ultimately it will be nothing. You would have me, sir, said Eugenia, now raising her eyes, learn to see beauty with unconcern by depreciating its value? I feel your kind intention, but it does not come home to me. Reasoning such as this may be equally applicable to anything else and degrade whatever is desirable into insignificance. No, my dear child, there is nothing, either in its possession or its loss, that can be compared with beauty. Nothing so evanescent, and nothing that leaves behind it a contrast which impresses such regret. It cannot be forgotten, since the same features still remain, though they are robbed of their effect upon the beholder. The same complexion is there, though faded into a tint bearing no resemblance with its original state, and the same eyes present themselves to the view, though bereft of all the luster that had rendered them captivating. Ah, sir, this is an argument but formed for the moment. Is not the loss of youth the same to everybody? And is not age equally unwelcome to the ugly and to the handsome? For activity, for strength, and for purposes of use, certainly, my dear girl, there can be no difference. But for motives to mental regret, there can be no comparison. To those who are commonly molded, the gradual growth of decay brings with it gradual endurance, because little is missed from day to day, hope is not roughly chilled, nor expectation rudely blasted. They see their friends, their connections, their contemporaries, declining by the same laws, and they yield to the immutable and general lot rather imperceptibly than resignedly. But it is not so with the beauty. Her loss is not only general, but peculiar, and it is the peculiar, not the general evil, that constitutes all hardship. Health, strength, agility, and animal spirits she may sorrowing feel diminish, but she hears every one complain of similar failures, and she misses them unmurmuring, though not unlamenting. But of beauty, every declension is marked with something painful to self-love. The change manifested by the mirror might patiently be borne, but the change is manifested in the eyes of every beholder, gives a shock that does violence to every pristine feeling. This may certainly, sir, be cruel, trying at least, but then what a youth has she first passed? Mortification comes upon her at least in succession. She does not begin the world with it, a stranger at all periods to anything happier. Oh, my child, the happiness caused by personal attraction pays a dear afterprice. The soldier who enters the field of battle requires not more courage, though of a different nature, than the faded beauty who enters an assembly room. To be wholly disregarded after engaging every eye? 
to be unassisted after being habituated to seeing crowds anxiously offer their services, to be unheard after monopolizing every ear, can you indeed persuade yourself a change such as this demands but ordinary firmness? Yet the altered female who calls for it has the least chance to obtain it, for even where nature has endowed her with fortitude, the world and its flatteries have almost uniformly enervated it before the season of its exertion. All this may be true, said Eugenia with a sigh, and to me, however sad in itself, it may prove consolatory. Yet forgive my sincerity when I own I would purchase a better appearance at any price, any expense, any payment the world could impose. Mr. Tyrold was preparing an answer when the door of the house, which he had still continued facing, was opened, and the beautiful figure, which had for some time retired from the window, rushed suddenly upon a lawn before the gate against which they were leaning. Not seeing them, she sat down upon the grass, which she plucked up by hands full, and strewed over her fine flowing hair. Camilla, fearing they should seem impertinent, would have retreated, but Eugenia, much struck, sadly, yet with earnestness, compelled herself to regard the object before her, who was young, fair, of a tall and striking figure, with features delicately regular. A sigh, not to be checked, acknowledged how little either reasoning or eloquence could subdue a wish to resemble such an appearance, when the young person, flinging herself suddenly upon her face, threw her white arms over her head and sobbed aloud with violence. Astonished and deeply concerned, Eugenia internally said, Alas, what a world is this! Even beauty so exquisite, without waiting for age or change, may be thus miserable. She feared to speak, lest she should be heard, but she looked up to her father with an eye that spoke concession, and with an interest for the fair afflicted, which seemed to request his assistance. He motioned to her to be quiet, when the young person, abruptly half-rising, burst into a fit of loud, shrill, and discordant laughter. Eugenia, now utterly confounded, would have drawn her father away, but he was intently engaged in his observations, and steadily kept his place. In two minutes the laugh ceased all at once, and the young creature, hastily rising, began turning round with a velocity that no machine could have exceeded. The sisters now fearfully interchanged looks that shewed they thought her mad, and both endeavoured to draw Mr. Tyrold from the gate, but in vain. He made them hold by his arms, and stood still. Without seeming giddy, she next began to jump, and now he could only detain his daughters by shewing them the gate at which they stood was locked. In another minute she perceived them, and coming eagerly forward, dropped several low curtsies, saying at every fresh bend, "'Good day! Good day! Good day!' Equally trembling, they now both turned pale with fear, but Mr. Tyrold, who was still immovable, answered her by a bow, and asked if she were well. "'Give me a shilling!' was her reply, while the slaver dribbled unrestrained from her mouth, rendering utterly disgusting a chin that a statutory might have wished to model. "'Do you live at this house?' said Mr. Tyrold. "'Yes, please! Yes, please! Yes, please!' she answered, twenty times following, and almost black in the face before she would allow herself to take another breath. A cat, now appearing at the door, she seized it and tried to twine it round her neck with great fondling, wholly unresisting the scratches which tore her fine skin. 
Next, capering forward with it towards the gate. Look, look, she cried. Here's puss, here's puss, here's puss. Then, letting it fall, she tore her handkerchief off her neck, put it over her face, strained it as tight as she was able, and tied it under her chin, and then struck her head with both her hands, making a noise that resembled nothing human. Take me away. Take, oh, take me away, father, cried Eugenia. I see, I feel your awful lesson, but impress it no further, lest I die in receiving it. Mr. Tyrold immediately moved off without speaking. Camilla, penetrated for her sister, observed the same silence. And Eugenia, hanging upon her father and absorbed in profound rumination, only by the depth of her sighs made her existence known. And thus, without the interchange of a word, slowly and pensively, they walked back to the carriage. Eugenia broke the silence as soon as they were seated. "'Oh, my father!' she exclaimed. "'What a sight have you made me witness! "'How dread a reproof have you given to my repining spirit! "'Did you know this unhappy beauty was at that house? "'Did you lead me thither purposely to display to me her shocking imbecility?' "'Relying upon the excellence of your understanding, "'I ventured upon an experiment more powerful, I well knew, "'than all that reason could urge. "'An experiment not only striking at the moment, but which, by playing upon the imagination, as well as convincing the judgment, might make an impression that can never be effaced. I have been informed for some time that this poor girl was in our neighborhood. She was born an idiot, and therefore, having never known brightened days, and therefore, having never known brighter days, is insensible to her terrible state. Her friends are opulent, and that house is taken, and a woman is paid to keep her in existence and in obscurity. I have heard of her uncommon beauty, and when the news reached me of my dear Eugenia's distress, the idea of this meeting occurred to me. I rode to the house and engaged the woman to detain her unfortunate charge at the window till we appeared, and then to let her loose into the garden. Poor, ill-fated young creature, it has been indeed a melancholy sight. A sight, cried Eugenia, to come home to me with shame. Oh, my dear father! Your prescription strikes to the root of my disease. Shall I ever again dare murmur? Will any egotism ever again make me believe no lot so hopeless? Will any egotism ever again make me believe no lot so hapless as my own? I will think of her when I am discontented. I will call to my mind this spectacle of human degradation and submit, at least with calmness, to my lighter evils and milder fate. My excellent child, this is just what I expected from the candor of your temper and the rectitude of your sentiments. You have seen here the value of intellects in viewing the horror of their loss, and you have witnessed that beauty without mind is more dreadful than any deformity. You have seized my application and left me nothing to enforce. My dear, my excellent child, you have left for your four... My dear, my excellent child, you have left for your fond father nothing but tender approbation. With the utmost thankfulness to Providence, I have marked from your earliest childhood the native justness of your understanding, which, with your studious inclination to sedentary accomplishments, have proved... With the utmost thankfulness to Providence, I have marked from your earliest childhood the native justness of your understanding, which, with your studious inclination to sedentary accomplishments, 
have proved a reviving source of consolation to your mother and to me for the cruel accidents we have incessantly lamented. How will that admirable mother rejoice in the recital I have to make to her? What pride will she take in a daughter so worthily her own, so resembling her in nobleness of nature and a superior way of thinking? Her tears, my child, like mine, will thank you for your exertions. She will strain to you she will strain you to her fond bosom as your father strains you at this moment. Yes, sir, cried Eugenia. Your kind task is now accomplished, Eugenia. Her thoughts, her occupations, her happiness shall henceforth all be centered in filial, filial, filial. Yes, sir, cried Eugenia. Your kind task is now completed with your vanquished Eugenia. Her thoughts, her occupations, her happiness shall henceforth be all centered in filial gratitude and contentment. The affectionate Camilla throwing her arms around them the affectionate Camilla throwing her arms about them both bathed each with the tears of joy and admiration which this soothing conclusion to adventure so severe excited. End of Book Four Chapter Six Recording by Linda Velwest